Welcome to the Center Point Pentecostal Church Podcast. We hope that this podcast finds you well and that you are ready for a life-changing message from one of our outstanding and anointed ministers. If you like this podcast, please be sure to give us a follow and a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Now let's get to today's message. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I would like to focus on the first part of that scripture. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to deliver your word. I ask you, Lord, to put your hand upon me. Let me say that what I need to say through you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated. Keys. When I started studying this scripture and doing some research, I found it kind of interesting where the Lord spoke to them and told them to use the keys. And one of the things that come to my mind was we have keys. Every one of us has keys. We have to have keys to access areas where we want to go. I don't know about you, but I have several key rings. I got them all over the place. I got them in my truck. I got them in my drawer in my laundry room. I got them in a drawer by the kitchen. I got some in my drawer by my bed. We all got keys. Probably a bunch of them I don't even have a clue what they go to because I've just hung on to keys. While working at the prison, everything you know is locked inside the prison. Every door. Every employee was assigned a key ring with only the keys that was necessary to access your area of assignment. However, there was always two people on every shift that was assigned a set of keys of the entire area of the prison in case of an emergency. They had two key rings. The first ring was nine Folger Adam keys. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but that's the big keys. They weigh almost a pound a piece. I had nine on one key ring. So you can about imagine how heavy that was on your side, plus a chain, plus it had to be double clipped and stuff. But that was the keys to every building inside the perimeter in case someone had an emergency and we had to respond to that. The second ring was a regular size key ring with about 30 keys to it. And each one of those keys accessed the inside, the interior doors in case we had an emergency. Every one of those keys was assigned a number. During my 
tenure working at the prison, I was assigned to this position with these keys on multiple occasions. I learned very quickly that the keys were not in any kind of order. When I responded to an emergency, it was difficult to quickly find the right key. You can only imagine, put yourself in this position, you're working inside of a prison, you being attacked by another inmate, by an inmate, you call for help, and I'm outside the door trying to fumble with some keys, trying to figure out which key I need to get inside that door so I can let somebody else in so they can come in there and help you. It's not a good feeling. I quickly realized the importance. If I was going to be the one assigned to that position with those keys, I needed to put those keys in a certain order, and I needed to memorize the guidelines where those keys went. And I, got, I took the time, set them keys up, that I could literally run. Now, we running across in the prison. Sometimes it may depend on where you was at and where the emergency was. You might have to run almost a half a mile across there with all these keys. Somebody's needing help right now. Nobody can get to them till you get to that door. I'm running. I organized those keys that I could do it with my eyes closed. While I was running, I was counting one, two, three, four, five, six. I know which key had, had the door unlocked by the time I got there. <clears throat> I was a lot younger then. I could run. Very few people could ever outrun me. I was, when I was in high school, my coach literally called my dad several times please let Byron run on my track team. He had broke every record at this high school. Just coming out there and running while they was practicing, my dad wouldn't let me go run. But I did enjoy running. I could run fast. And being that responsible, being able to run, I was quite often assigned to that position at the prison. We call it a compound officer. And so I knew I had to learn the guide that knew where every one of those keys was. By the time I got to the door, I knew exactly which key I needed to unlock it. I had the correct key in my hand. I was able to open that door and allow responding staff into that area of emergency without any further delay. If you was on that receiving end of that emergency, you would understand the importance of not delaying the response. But just because I had the keys in my possession didn't mean that I could respond quickly to any emergency. I had to learn what each key was for. I had to be knowledgeable about the keys and the layout of the buildings. After I gained this knowledge, my response would not be delayed. This could have been a life or death situation for someone. In the text that I read tonight, God is giving the apostles the keys to the kingdom of heaven so that they can guide others into this truth that he has begun to share with them without any further delay. 
However, if they did not make themselves knowledgeable of the keys God was giving them, how would they be able to use them in their ministry? It was not a physical key. We would normally think, but a spiritual key of clarification that God was giving them. When I studied this scripture, I went back and looked into the actual meaning of what it was saying for the keys. It means something that affords a means of clarifying a problem. A book, a pamphlet, or other text containing the solutions, translation of material given elsewhere. Something that gives an explanation or identification or provides a solution. Tonight, you may be wondering why I use the example of keys at the prison. The point I want to make is that I had a set of keys and without a guide to where those keys gave me access to, they were of little use to me. What God was trying to tell the apostles, here's some keys with some guidelines. You're going to need them to the saints so that they can access the kingdom of heaven. Here's our key, folks. Just like the translation says, it's a book, it's a pamphlet, or other text containing. You got the keys to heaven right here in your hands. If you carry your Bible, you got the keys. Now, what you do with those keys, it's going to be your responsibility. It ain't no on nobody else but you. Because you're going to have to make yourself knowledgeable. You're going to have to learn what those keys are. And what the keys, what you're going to need to do to get to heaven. He knew the apostles would be dealing with people. And there would be problems that would arise in the church. Heaven forbid. But the apostles were dealing with the same thing that goes on in our churches today. When you got people, you're going to have misunderstandings. You're going to have disagreements. Somebody's going to get their little feelings hurt. And Jesus knew this. And so that's what he was doing. He said, he told the apostles, I'm giving you some keys. The Lord knew the apostles were going to have to address some problems with their preaching of the word. And sometimes, if you read some of the books, that, the letters that Paul wrote, he was doing some one-on-one -on -one pretty much counseling and addressing some very specific, specific problems that the church had. These keys were not given to the apostles just for their use. They were given them to be shared with all the Jews the children of Israel, the children of God, but they also were meant to be shared with you and me, the Gentiles. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. I'm here to tell you, God has put a pastor in this church 
because he knows the needs of this church. That pastor has been given the keys. He has the guidelines. It's his responsibility to share those guidelines with us and train us and direct us. God gives him wisdom and shows him things that we may think he does not see. I can assure you, our pastor is in tune with the Lord. When our pastor comes to this pulpit to preach the word, he's been in tune. You may think me, somebody else sitting beside you, don't see what's going on in your life. But I can assure you, God has a way of revealing it to your pastor. And he has to step to this pulpit with boldness and some firmness and address some of those problems because that's the key that God has given him. God has given our pastor the keys to the kingdom of heaven or authority over this church body. And he has to share that knowledge and guide us and direct us in the right direction. It may literally be a life and death situation between heaven and hell for one of us. So when your pastor comes to this pulpit and he has to preach from his heart and he has to address some things and it feels like he's stepping on your toes, you better be thankful you have a pastor that's standing between you and God. And if you're ever going to make it to heaven, he's going to have to guide you and direct you. That's why it's important that a pastor must spend time in prayer and study the word of God to have the wisdom needed to preach and teach us what is needed in our day-to-day lives. Let's talk about one of the keys that are important to us as saints of God. And I debated whether to put this there, whether to change the name of my sermon, but the one key that I want to address tonight and it's in the Bible, I'm going to use scriptures here, is spiritual discipline. God knew when he picked the disciples there would be a time in their ministry in working with people they would have to use some authority and some discipline within the church. When we define this discipline, it means the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior. That right there gets some people's attention. You mean I got to obey some rules? You mean I got to behave? Some people turn you off as soon as you start talking like that. That's not the spirit we need in the church because there is a point in time we need our spiritual discipline. There's three types of discipline. And as a parent... You're probably familiar with these. You probably have should have already used all three of these. Some of us, I think there's some Sunday school teachers, school teachers here, people that work in the school system. I'm pretty sure that you've used all three of these forms of discipline. There's a preventive form. 
And then there's a supportive form of discipline and a corrective form of discipline. When we read our Bibles and the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, we read where Paul is giving these types of discipline to the different churches. Preventive discipline is about establishing expectations, guidelines, rules for behavior to proactively prevent disruptions. As a parent, you set some rules in your house. You get some guidelines. You give some expectations. So you, you do have some preventive discipline. As far as the church, this is where the pastor, he teaches Bible lessons, Bible studies, to give us a better, better understanding of the word. I don't know if we have any Sunday school teachers that are here tonight that's in here. But Sunday school teachers, this is where your teaching matters. You're not just reading a lesson out of a book and allowing the kids to color a page. You're not a babysitter. I'm here to tell you what you're teaching does matter. You need to have a passion for the teaching of these kids in the Word of God. You're giving them guidelines, rules of behavior, expectations on how to live a godly Christian life. And as I said, God gave us all some keys. And as Sunday school teachers, we need to have a passion. You've got some keys in your hands and on how to get the, these kids to heaven. You need to take that serious. Because one day, I can tell you, God's going to hold us all accountable. And if all we're there in that Sunday school class is all we're doing is handing them a piece of paper to color, we need to start praying. Because I'm telling you, you hold some keys, and God's going to hold you responsible one day for those keys that he's given you, and if you're not properly using them. Supportive discipline. It, on the other hand, occurs in the case of a transgression. It is usually a verbal warning or a suggestion for the correction of behavior. As a parent raising kids, we've all seen the times when we've had to use verbal warnings to correct our kids. My dad, he didn't even have to use a verbal warning. And I can't even snap my fingers like he did. He, he, he could snap them fingers, and I promise you, it got your attention. And usually if he snapped them fingers while he was preaching and we was in church, when he snapped that finger, I knew I was getting a whipping as soon as church was over with. That was just, that, that's why I, I, I don't even want to snap my fingers because I might I get scared I might start getting a whipping because I knew it was coming. But that was a supportive discipline that he had. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, you have some responsibilities. 
to train up your child. And I'm careful how to say this because I don't want to offend somebody. I don't know how you all raise your kids and stuff. But I can tell you, I worked in law enforcement almost 40 years of my life. One of the biggest problems we have is kids had no discipline at home. It starts in the home. And parents, if you're going to raise your kids up to serve God, you need to have some supportive and be able to correct them. Don't let them go out doing whatever they want to do because that's going to cause you some problems down the road. <clears throat> the supportive discipline is when God has revealed something to the pastor and he sees the need to give a word of wisdom to the church or to us as an individual. For a pastor, it is no different than you as a parent. He's not the bad guy just picking on you, but he's standing in the gap for you with God, and he wants to see your soul saved from hell. Corrective discipline comes into play when someone has failed to change his or her behavior after repeated attempts at supportive discipline. It mostly refers to the consequences delivered following an infraction. When we read the Old Testament with the children of Israel, how many times they failed God? They had an infraction. They had idols. They were doing things they wasn't supposed to. God would speak to the man of God and tell him this is what's going to happen. More than once, Moses tried to stand in the gap. He tried to tell the people where they was wrong. And because of their attitude, and even their attitude towards Moses, their pastor, their shepherd, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. What are you doing? Are you going to step up and give that corrective behavior to your children? Or what are you going to do when the pastor has to stand here and give you some corrective behavior? Are you going to have a bad attitude? Are you going to wander off in the wilderness and you're going to die in the wilderness? Proverbs 29, verse 19, Amplified Bible. The rod and reproof of godly instruction give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. I can assure you, I can tell you story after story. where parents didn't do what they need to do. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking a grown man in the face, and I'm his authority, and I'm trying to discipline as a law enforcement officer. He was bringing shame to his mother at that time. Are you going to allow your kids to walk that path? 
Are you going to stand up and say what you need to say? For us parents, what we do matters. Mom and dads, you need to be able to know when your child is doing something that they should not be doing and be bold and correct them with firm words or use the rod that God has given you authority to use. I know the society we live in today. You mention whipping a kid and it goes off on the deep end real quick. But the scriptures gave us that authority. And I'm not saying you had to beat your kids, but we can use it as a form of correction because the scripture did say that we could use it. This is a part of discipline that no pastor wants to do, and that's the corrective. As, I, as a kid, I can remember my dad saying this more than one time while he was whipping me. Son, this hurts me so bad. And I was thinking to myself, well, if that's the case, why are you whipping me? But I sure didn't say it because I know if I would have, it got worse. Jeremiah 23 and 4, And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. It's in God's plan to have a pastor over us, a pastor that will feed us through God's word. To a pastor, when it comes to this form of corrective dis discipline, it really does hurt his feelings. He may even question himself as to where he failed or went wrong. The pastor may wonder, what could I have done differently in the preventive and supportive forms of discipline to prevent a person from getting to this point of corrective discipline? There comes a point in time that our pastor, Brother Beard, sees the need to discipline us as a church, a whole, or sometimes even as an individual in counseling. And I can assure you, this is done with lots of prayer and fasting before he gets to that point. Hebrews 12 and 7, Amplified Bible. You must submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That scripture says a lot there. You must submit. And I can assure you, even Brother Beard, there's been times he's questioned, okay, Lord, is that really what you want me to say? Is this really what you want me to do? Because he knows he's going to probably step on some toes. He's going to hurt some feelings. But the scripture says we must submit to that correction. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father is not disciplined? So there is going to come a point in time that we have to have that spiritual discipline. I can assure you, your pastor is doing it out of love. He does it for accountability to God. 
He is the one responsible for the salvation of your soul. So the next time that our pastor disciplines us as a church, or you as an individual, please do not have a spirit of rebellion or the attitude of being offended and take it personal. Your pastor is using his God-given authority to discipline you, to guide you, to give you direction in your walk with God. You need to have a spirit of thankfulness that God has put a pastor in your life that can see your faults and failures and that he cares enough about your soul that he's willing to step out in faith and believe God is using him to give you that needed correction. Giving us the correction that we need for salvation and eternal life in heaven instead of hell. The Bible even tells us not to become upset when we're being corrected. Psalms chapter 3, verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Back in the 1800s, Robert Murray McShane was a minister in Scotland. And he made this statement, and I'm going to read it to you. When I was studying this, I come across this, and so I'm just kind of give you some feelings of where your pastor, how your pastor feels when he gets to this point, but the responsibility that he has here. And this Reverend McShane made this statement. When I first entered upon the work of the ministry among you, I was exceedingly ignorant of the vast importance of church discipline. I thought that my great and almost only work was to pray and preach. I saw your soul to be so precious and the time so short that I devoted all my time and care and strength to labor in word and doctrine. When cases of discipline were brought before me and the elders, I regarded them with disgust. I was a, it was a duty I shrank from. I may truly say it nearly drove me from the work of the ministry among you altogether. But it pleased God who teaches his servants in another way than man teaches to bless some of the cases of discipline to be the manifest and the undeniable conversion of souls of those under our care. And from that hour, a new light broke upon me, and I saw that if preaching be an ordinance of Christ, so is church discipline. I now feel very deeply persuaded that both are of God, that two keys are committed to us by Christ. The one key of doctrine by means of which we unlock the treasures of the Bible, the other key of discipline by which we open or shut the way to the sealing ordinances of faith. And that was back in the 1800s. A minister was still having to deal with problems in the church. He didn't have good feelings about it. And I can assure you, our pastor does not like doing that. You know, all know Brother Beard and his kind spirit, thankful spirit, grateful spirit, 
But when it comes to that point, he takes it very, very hard, but he knows he has to do what he has to do to be accountable for your soul. And it's not easy on him. Once God has shown the pastor our faults that need to be corrected, God gives him the boldness to step out and speak words of wisdom to us as a church or even to us as an individual during personal counseling. God knew how the apostles and pastors were going to feel when it came to this part of their ministry. He addressed it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God knew that pastors were going to have to deal with some stuff in the church. He knew how they was going to feel when they had to deal with that, so he put that scripture in there. But I think that scripture is also there for us to understand the responsibility that our pastor has when it comes to our spiritual discipline. Without the hard process of breaking in, a horse is not going to be profitable for labor. I don't know of anybody in here that has any horses. I've got a, several friends of mine that have horses. I got one friend of mine, he's been breaking horses for years. And he's as old as I am, and he still enjoys it. And he gets hurt every now and then. But men of our bitter trials and heart bruising hardships come upon us by way of breaking in. They chasten the spirit and make us more ready, willing to do the will of God. What you may think of you having a bad day could be God breaking you in. What you feel is a hardship is God's trying to teach you a lesson. When it may seem the pastor is stepping on your toes, it could be God using him to chasten your spirit so that you can have the will of God in your life. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, the Amplified Bible. My son, do not reject or take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Learn from your mistakes in the testing that comes from his correction through discipline, nor despise his rebuke. That's one more scripture right there. We don't need to take it lightly when the pastor comes up here and he starts giving us some guidelines, some directions, some corrections. We need to be right there behind him and say, yes, sir. Get in line with what he's trying to say. Some of the problems we have in this world today is because we have a generation that has grown up without prosper discipline in their lives. Can you imagine what the church would be like without a pastor to give us correction in living for God? We see it in some of our churches today they go to church they sing they dance and they talk about how happy and how good life is 
but they have no correction. They have no discipline in their life. Because when they walk out the doors of the church house, they go and do whatever they want to do. And that's just like the scripture said. When the child goes out and does whatever they want to go and do, they're going to bring shame to their mother. I'm here to tell you. If that's what you're doing, if you come into church and you're going out the doors and doing whatever you want to do, you bring in shame to your pastor. I'm thankful that God has put a pastor in my life that is willing to submit to what God has put on his heart to speak to me. To teach me, to guide me, and even to correct me. Even though at times it may feel like he's being a big, mean bully and being hurtful, it may feel like he doesn't even love me. I got to go to the scriptures. Because the scriptures has told him he has a responsibility of spiritual discipline over my soul. And I want to have the right attitude and the right spirit when that day comes. I can tell you, the devil's going to play with your mind. Because the day that your pastor has to come into you one-on-one, face-to-face, that human spirit's going to flare up. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. It's get a spirit of rebellion, spirit of bitterness. And if you let that happen, I'm afraid you're not going to make it. The point I'm trying to make tonight, we have to have spiritual discipline in our lives. And we have a pastor that's willing to do that. He's not up here just trying to make everybody happy. He's not up here, Sister Melissa and I just singing a bunch of songs up here to make everybody happy. She's trying to worship and praise God. Create a spirit of worship and praise in here. You need to pray that God gives you an understanding and mercy one more time. And that you can take that what the pastor is telling you to heart. And you can submit to the will of God in your life. In the Old Testament, we read where the prophets, more than once, they would go to the king. And if you read the book of Judges, book of Chronicles, you will see... Where if that king was following what the prophets was telling him, he did that what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But how many times when we read in the Old Testament, the kings, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't think our pastor wants it written in the book of life in his bio, and saying he did evil in the sight of the Lord. I think it's his desire to say he did right in the eyes of the Lord. As we all stand. I want to say thank you, Lord, 
for a pastor that cares more about my soul than about my feelings. We all got feelings. We all got emotions. But what I'm wanting to tell this church tonight, there comes a point in time that we do need spiritual discipline in our lives. And when it gets to that point, we need to have the right attitude. And I would like for us to all go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask the Lord, Lord, thank you for a pastor. Thank you for guiding and directing me. Thank you, Lord, for showing me the keys. Lord, give me the right attitude, the right spirit that I need. Lord, you know I can be a witness for you in my attitude, my spirit, and the way I handle things, Lord, can speak volumes to other people in this church. So I'm asking you, Lord, to put your hand upon me. Let me be that witness that I need to be, Lord. Let me walk closer to you. And if I do fail, Lord, if I do make mistakes, and my pastor has to come to me with spiritual discipline, Lord, I'm asking you to give me the right spirit, the right attitude. Give me what I need, Lord, to understand that whatever he's telling me is for the benefit of my soul. And whether or not I'm going to make it to heaven or hell, Lord, and you know my goal is heaven today. So, Lord, I'm asking you right now to give me that spirit of love and kindness so that I can share it with others and let them know, Lord, that this is the truth. This is the way. This is the way that I want to direct my children. Lord, this is the way I want to direct my school children. Lord, this is the way I want to direct my Sunday school children. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it changes and impacts your life for days to come. If you would like to connect with us further, give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash Centerpoint Pentecostal Church or just search Centerpoint Pentecostal Church on Facebook. If you would like to join one of our services in person, the service times and address are in the podcast description. Thank you and God bless and we hope to see you on the next episode.